And you can live in the day. did your uh, recovery go from the from the bout all right so i mean it was only a few days so when we recorded it was saturday the sparring happened on friday and i think by sunday almost didn't feel it monday i was completely fine it was something like that okay so you uh, feel like <clears throat> consciously you feel clear yeah, yeah, yeah it was only just this year a few days and that was it did you tell anyone at the uh, gym? No. I I hadn't even been to the boxing since. Oh, you because, had yeah. the event? Yeah. So I left to London on Tuesday and came back on Monday. So yeah, didn't go boxing. As for event? Yeah. What, is that what you asked? Yeah. Well, pretty insane. Oh, cool. Yeah. Good. Uh, I don't know if I said it was business related. So they yeah, brought in working business. They brought in some really very high value individuals, basically mentoring every single aspect of a business. And it was like it was really hardcore. So we started out 9 a.m. on Friday. And the actual like lecture ended around eleven p.m. So in between, we obviously have lunch and dinner. We're all, we rented out a conference room and it's two rooms. One is with tables for presenting everything else. And then the room over is for eating. So we just have to walk over to the next room and we have lunch and dinner there. And yeah, the seminar, I don't know what to call it, was until I think around 11. And then we do what's called a night shift which is informal and you just get to speak to the mentors and that was until around 3 a.m so the conference room's closed and we went to one of the like suites is that what it's called one of the rooms yeah 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 went to like a they also have like a big room so stay there till about 3 a.m just yeah talking to everyone then Went back to the hotel, went to sleep around four and woke up 7.30 yeah. to eat breakfast by 8.30, as in be ready by 8.30 to head back to conference room to start at 9 a.m. again Yeah, on Saturday. Nice. And then again from 9 a.m. till about 11 and then night shift again from about 11 to 3, something like that. And then we finished. So... What was really cool, after the event, quite a few of the mentors reached out to me saying, if there's anything I need to feel free to message them and they're looking forward to seeing my progress. And yeah, that was really cool. So over that weekend, being around the type of people that were there, I even noticed how I changed by the end of the event, how different I was to when I came in. So I saw how strongly as people, we are influenced by our surroundings. Yes. And I guess that would be something I'll want to continue with your thoughts on in a bit. But before that, I just wanted to add. So um, when I said some of the mentors messaged me, 
that really also motivated me to go yeah all in on copywriting because i just i i want to prove myself to them that they were right for believing in me i don't want to let them down so they believed in me and yeah now i want to prove to them that i can put in the work and they were right for believing in me so i'll phrase it that way totally accountability and 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 responsibility i mean that's what it means to develop a reputation you know that's what that yeah. means yeah uh, that's what reputation is very very uh, a powerful motivator uh, to get people to get people moving so i've noticed how much that has influenced me and how much more work i've been doing after yeah i i've been thinking about influence a lot lately because it has direct impact to trading um i mean everything that we talk about everything that we think about applies to everything everything and an influence is part of the social mirror um but i forget like the things that i've learned sometimes and it takes me another painful experience or set of experiences to relearn something i've already learned you know, to relearn a teaching that I thought I internalized, but I haven't. And it's crazy to think that you can still learn the same things over and over and over again. Um, and it's, it's, it's kind of exhausting and inspiring at the same time. But like, yeah, the way we're influenced by things outside of us is we have to watch out for that so carefully. And the monks were so good at that. Negative, positive. I mean, some things don't influence us at all. And somehow it's a, it's like, it's not our karma anymore. But uh, other things are like completely changed the way we think. And we have to really be careful about what goes in, well, what we're exposed to because of, uh, you know, it's going to directly impact our actions and the way we feel and the way we feel impacts our actions. So, and I think feeling or, or yeah, I think the way we feel truly changes our reality. Like it has a direct correlation to what happens to us. Or maybe not what happens to us, but the way we, but the way we manage and control life and, and the direct outcome or consequence. And so if we're thinking negatively, we're going to get negative things. And the opposite is true. If we're thinking positive, if we're thinking strongly, if we're thinking success, and we feel success, then we will get success. <laughs> and I think that's true. I think that's true. And I've been experiencing that firsthand this last week, like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I was just like creating loss. I was repeating loss. And Thursday and Friday, I totally changed the way I thought, not the way I traded, the way I thought about trading and it was like success after success after success 
And if I had repeated the negative pattern, I would have had negative and negative on Thursday and Friday. Instead, Wednesday night, I flipped positive. And then Thursday morning, it was like, get out of my way. And it was beautiful. And um, that's, that's what I've been thinking about all week. That's why I had to take the break in the podcast. I was like, I'm so when we were talking about recording, I was in the negative and I was like, I can't record right now because I don't know what's going to come out because I'm so like in despair. And um, I use strong language, like exaggerated, but, but I was in that negative and I didn't want to record. I didn't want to put that out there somehow. It was like the podcast is, is, you know, I don't want that vibration there. So I need this. I need a break. And um, I needed that, that momentum shift, that focus shift. And uh, I guess I kind of reached out to Jai and I was like, something's not right here. Something's not working. And I know he's like a trader. So, you know, he's someone I can kind of like rely on. And um, yeah, he sent me that, that, thing he's like you're thinking wrong and um uh, it's like the best resource i've ever i've ever been exposed to for trading and then and then it just goes back to where what i already know um yeah it's funny life is so funny and then what is when i said i'd want to cover in the future so about how heavily the people around us influence us and in for me in such a short period of time what is that about well it's it's um if if everything is energy if everything is connected if everything is supposed to happen and meant to be and we place ourselves around like-minded people like-minded groups and communities we think like the group it's it's a part of mythology it's a part of our DNA to, to, uh, to, it's a part of it. Yoga, you know, if, if our awareness is sticky and can, can grab a hold of concepts easily, if those concepts are presented to us, uh, then we're just performing a function of our protocols. Basically our internal mechanisms are designed to stick to things. So we want to stick to the best things. We want to stick to the things that, that, that improve us the most and teach us the most. So we enter into a room of like-minded people and everyone is like, if they're thinking success, if they're thinking entrepreneurship, if they're thinking power, if they're thinking momentum, we would all of a sudden pick up on all those things. And then, and then it becomes an easier part of us. And, and, uh, that's it. That's, it's just to me that that's true. That's what I believe in. I, I know not everyone believes that and that we are individuals. So in the end, our bodies are costumes. What's underneath who we really are. <clears throat> we're connected. Like we're the same thing as, as other people. So we want to, we want to be around people that are, are evolutionarily a little better, like a little, a little more advanced. And then, and then we, 
we blend with that advanced energy, which is why in relationships, it's so important to be with people that are, are better than us and who know more than us, who, who do what we want, but, but better. And uh, we want to have aspects of that uh, for whatever it is that they don't have as well. So we both challenge each other. So we want to be around groups and people that challenge us. And that's a difficult concept. For people they don't want to be challenged anymore if you don't want to be challenged you're starting to go down a um, a road that is is leading to uh slothfulness laziness you know unproductive behavior things like that you you want to constantly be challenged so we go through these periods of ups and downs and uh we want those down periods that they're going to happen. It's not like they don't happen. They are going to happen. We want those down periods to be caught real quickly so that we're, we're going down, but our, the down that we're in is higher than the previous down. So that's to me, to me, that's, that's the answer is, is those people are, are inspiring us because we're easily inspired. We're easily influenced. And uh, I think one of the things that was, was messing me up recently was Twitter. I think I, I started to depend on Twitter because of my influence to it. And it was powerful for me in the beginning. Like in the beginning, Twitter is what made me a, a good trader, a reliable trader. And then all of a sudden, I'm noticing, you know, over the past month or so that that Twitter is not only consuming me beyond trading, but um, it was making my trading distorted. Because it was just no, it was no longer the influence that was leading me to success, I needed to be independent in order to have eventual uh, success. And um, and this is the same, again, this is a detailed microcosmic example of the macrocosm. So this is me going to the group, the Twitter is the group, and it's the thing that revolutionizes me as a person, okay? Meet traders, learn from traders, blah, 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 copy traders, <clears throat> okay? You can think about this in your group as well. It's the thing that that shields chaos temporarily so that you can study, grow, and learn. You're protected by the group. Eventually, the group destroys the hero. Eventually, at some point in our lives and experiences, the group turns against us. It's, 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 we outgrow the group. And if it's not a function of the group for you to leave and go off on your own and save your community, myth, myth, mythologically speaking, but to, to revolutionize yourself again and again and again and find new groups, um, it's, a false, it, it's a false group. It's, it's a group that, that has not yet evolved to its highest potential. So, so, so I kept reading... Um, this past month, some Twitter accounts that were like, eventually, you don't listen to us. 
Like eventually you're independent. You do this on your own. You, you, you don't follow what we say and you put your own methodologies into practice and, and see if they're successful or not. And I denied it. I was like, it wasn't, I truly didn't accept it. And, um, and then it hit me that, that that's what needed to happen. And uh, some other things psychologically hit me. And um, I noticed that these Thursday and Friday, uh, also I've noticed in the past that the days I am, don't use the internet, I just 100% stick to my own trading. Um, I'm like spot on about all my decisions and I'm very successful. And then I go back and I check in with Twitter and I notice that if I had listened to Twitter, I'd have been wrong. If I had like, cause I can see people's mistakes and I'm like, and, and I go back and I'm like, wait, you didn't see that? Like you made a bad decision. And then what they'll say is, Hey, I was wrong about that. It didn't work. Sorry. You know? And it's like, Listening to someone else never works eventually because who's responsible? Like eventually the person is not responsible that you listen to. You don't have the success of trying something on your own and it's a, it, no one wins in that situation. So that's where I got to Thursday and Friday. And, and, and uh, the thing is people will listen to this and immediately shun the group or like stay away from the group. And Arthur and I talk about this all the time, almost every day. And um, it's hard to express over text message, but he's going to be on the show eventually to talk about it. But we need the group, even though the group is eventually the thing that kills us. And, and, we need that death and rebirth process. So, but to clarify, you need a group which will allow you to excel in, not a group where you'll be brought down. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's I the guess, same, yeah. It's okay. the same group. And it's, it's, it's a conflict in ideals because the group is the thing that inspired me, motivated me, you know, challenged me, right? But eventually, you need to, to evolve and look around the group and say, wait a minute, I'm giving him advice. I'm giving him advice. I'm giving him advice. I've evolved out of the group. I did it. And we want a group where you can go back and become a teacher. You want a group that you can come in and out of. And, get, and eventually give back. And eventually it becomes the community that you can save and become one of the people that you once looked up to. That's what you want. You know, unfortunately, in the group that I was in, in the monastery, that wasn't allowed. If you left, you were dead to the group. If you evolved out of the group, you could not, you could not come back. You, you cannot expose that they were a, a, a destructive group in the end. Because young people coming into the group would see that they could eventually leave and become better. 
and they can't have that. So that's a no-no. That's not good. That's not good. So that's why when young people ask me, should I go into a monastery to learn like you did? I say, I finally realized, do not join a group that eventually doesn't want you to leave. Only join a group that welcomes your evolution and your eventual departure from the group. And it's what I realized before when I was mentoring people online in 2015. We keep saying, come back to the group. And it was wrong. And I had to eventually leave the group as the leader and say, wait a minute. I don't eventually want you in the group anymore. Eventually you leave and this isn't a part of you anymore. And eventually, and occasionally you come back and, and teach, but that was the biggest thing. And then people started to leave and they were like, oh my God, like I'm a normal person again, or I'm even better now. And, you know, that's what I was trying to tell people. Um, so, so that's, that's, that's the idea. It's a wonderful thing. So we need it. We need to, to expose ourselves to that group. It's just, it's not even a choice. It just happens. And that's something that Arthur, I think conflicts with is, is you don't need that exposure to the group. But what I'm saying is whether you know it or not, the group happens, whether you know it or not, it, 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 there's a group everywhere it's it's unconscious it's it's happening without your choice so to speak at the moment i drink coffee i become a part of the group of coffee drinkers it's it's just i don't have to be around people the moment you start copywriting you become a part of that community it just happens you don't you're not a lone copywriter you are part of a group a community now whether you identify with in-person contact and everything and depend on and to be influenced by is another question. You can remain independent in that way, but you, I'm trying to think of a bonsai analogy, the art of, of shaping trees. You first like learn the rules of the community, of the group before you can bend them and before you can break them and change the rules. My bonsai teacher uh, said to me in Hawaii, he said, you, because I was starting to break rules before I learned them. And he said, you haven't even learned the proper way. You cannot break the rules first. First, you learn the rules. And you understand why they're there before you can start breaking them. And uh, that's, that's, my, that's my kind of philosophy on all that. And it's, it's not even mine. It's, it's, it's Peterson. It's Carl Jung. It's, it's, um, it goes back to thousands of years of myth mythology and, and the story of the hero, David and Goliath. Uh, it's um, Joseph uh, Campbell and the hero's journey. It's, it's all of that wrapped up into uh, what you're doing right now. And it, and it explains every step of the way. The problem is we think that the story ends. And what happened is mythologically, we're used to credits. We're used to the story ending. 
And so the moment we realize the story doesn't end until we die, and then even then it doesn't end because there is no uh, death, um, it, it's, hard to, it's hard to keep going. And that, I think that for me, I run into that because I do so many damn new things. I'm always experiencing this repetitive cyclical journey of the rise of the hero, the fall into the pit of despair, and then the ascension into wisdom. And I, I, it's one of my teachings to become a new person, to challenge yourself almost every day, if not every hour. And I myself forget how exhausting that is and how you have to remember somehow you have to remember that it's just not over the journey. Just because you learn one thing, it's not over. You have to relearn something else or learn something new. And the way you learn something new is to go through those painful experiences of learning. And um, it's so exciting that's the adventure. That's why we're, that's, that's part of being alive. It's so exciting. And to be settled and the monks would say, never settle. Right. And people always ask me what the hell that means. Never settle. And some people don't like it. They get upset when I say that. And it's like, you, you can't rest on what you've accomplished uh, yesterday. It's just, it's no longer effective just like the exhaustive measures of physical performance in, in, in an athlete. Your last success in strength and speed and agility and jumping height and, and throwing measures are no longer effective the moment you do it. You have to do better uh, eventually or else it's just like everyone else. Eventually, like everyone will be able to throw 99 miles an hour. I remember when 99 miles an hour fastballs were like the newest thing in high school. And now I think it's like, you got to do 105 or else you ain't making it. <laughs> if you can't hit 105 on a hot night, like you're not going to get sent up to the pros. And my numbers may be off a bit. John, you know, could cor correct me on this, but, uh, you know what I mean? Like, that's the idea. Yeah. And the interesting part a bit earlier, what you were saying, what came to my mind was uh, when you were speaking about settling. So people who say, as an example, let's say if I had as much money as Jeff Bezos, I would be like on a private island somewhere, like by the beach. On a super on, yacht. Yeah, whatever. Then that. So the thing about that is, the reason they're not in that position is because of that mindset. So it's Jeff Bezos's mindset, which going where he is, but it's like a double-edged sword because it's the same mindset that can't allow him to relax. He has to keep yes, doing something. Otherwise, yeah, he has no more purpose. Yes. So yeah, it's that yeah, interesting it, duality. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I struggle with that all the time. And people I work with struggle with that. Uh, it absolutely is a double-edged sword. And something I talk with all the former monks with is, um, well, and the monks themselves talked about this all the time. 
learning the balance of rest and recovery and when that's appropriate is a true skill. John and I talk about that all the time with, with these elite pitchers who are, who are striving to be even better every day. It's like the littlest things change everything on the mound. And uh, it's counterintuitive. It's counterproductive almost. Like you think it's counterproductive to rest and recover, but it's the thing that makes you better when the next competition comes around or the next event or the next challenge. And um, when is it okay to stop achieving and thinking that you need to be better and, and this and that? And, you know, oftentimes people with this mindset um, backslide and they go hard the other way. The all or nothing mentality sends you into success rapidly it also sends you into failure rapidly and it's self-sabotaging we um will sabotage ourselves and 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 we we force ourselves almost to lose to become unsuccessful at something as a way of uh completing guilt like some kind of guilt cycle uh some way to kind of knock us down it's very strange um, but we have to kind of notice the ball, the, the distinction, we have to have a distinction of what is self-sabotage, what is actual rest and recovery. Um, and you can use the same mindset, like your ability to recover needs to be elite. <laughs> I always say like elite recovery, your ability to rest needs to be better than all your your restful moments in the past or else it's not going to be the same rest. So as we get better and better and better at activity, so must our rest also get better. And it's just this constant state of, of, of uh, achievement. And uh, it doesn't have to be exhausting, I think. Or maybe it does. Maybe it does have to be exhausting. You know, T.S. Eliot said, we can only know our limitations when we reach them. And, and when we go past them is truly when we learn, you know, what kind of limitations can be broken. And he's right. He's absolutely right. So it's fun, you know. It's fun to go back and forth and, and to come out of the trouble, troubling times and to look back on it. That's why some people say, like, we'll, we'll laugh about this eventually or one day. And that's true. When everything's really going bad, you will eventually like look back on it. Be like, Oh, man, you know, I, I knew so little back then. Something I think about a lot is one of one of the senior monks told me once that like every year gets better in this mindset. Whereas like, people with a normal mindset every year kind of gets worse. And there's, you can hear that out there. Like there's a, there's a, a theme that you get older as you get older, like you've reached a peak and it's downhill from here or, or things in that, that like that. And uh, you don't want to think like that every year actually gets like a lot better year after year after year after year so that's that was important uh 
for the monks to think like that. And, and it's true. Personally, every time I think back how it was six months ago, I see how much I have changed as a person. Oh, man. And how much more I know, how much, how differently I act, like those sort of things. Isn't just, that exciting? Yeah. 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 It's like, imagine where you'll be six months from now. And it's like, wow. That's why I always say, like, I can't wait for the future. <laughs> yeah. Whatever future that is, like, and however far it is or close, I'm just, I can't wait for that to be. Actually, I think I took that from Tupac. Tupac Shakur, the famous rapper, said, I can't wait till I'm older. And there's there's something about the context in the song that he said that. It's like, I can't wait to be older and, and to know more and to be to be more. And I think that's a very important thing. A lot of people don't want to be older. Um, anti-aging thing is like everywhere. You want to be young forever music um uh really pop music um sells youth to to be there's even a store uh called 21 forever or something or like this it's like oh my god that's the craziest thing i've ever heard um you know like we can look back on high school students and and we think of how like young people think everything is life or death and they they truly have the have no capacity to see far into the distance and to see how in in uh what's the even the exam stress is that what you're talking about everything everything young people um what is the word it's i think it starts with an i young people get caught up in thinking that everything is permanent and that there is no future beyond high school. It's just crazy. The stress of exams, all that stuff, all that stuff. Stress in general is crazy. It's, it's, and that's, that's one of the things that I I relearned this past week was that there's no advantage there's no advantage to stress in, in, in a psychological framework. It's, stress is important on, on structural matters to be able to, to load, to be a, a weight-bearing uh, structure is important to be able to take on a, a greater load and handle the stress of that load is important. But psychologically, despair the stress of despair and anxiety of impending doom means means little it has no it has no advantage to our uh, struggle for success but doesn't it mean that you need to change your other surroundings or like something needs to change if you're correct feeling that so that's Cor- what it's indicating that something needs to change yeah that's the yeah, advantage absolutely. to that well, to say. yes, it well, when, and then what I would say is it, its advantages are temporary. In other words, it's a stepping stone into an elite mindset. So it's, it's only, it's only beneficial um, in, in the beginning of your journey. It's, it's not something that should 
that. But it prevails throughout because if you go in the wrong direction, they might come back to guide you back in that way, if that makes sense. Yes, I agree. And, and I do think that it doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. It, it will return. And I think something I've learned is that it's, it's not about getting rid of it. It's about when it comes back, how quickly do you recover? So it's, it's always about like the speed of recovery. <clears throat> and if that despair, if that doom and gloom kind of hits you, you know, how quickly can you recover? And five years ago, how quickly did you, did you improve uh, from that, from who you were five years ago? And for me, you know, I think doom and gloom used to mess me up for a few months at a time. I mean, uh, some of the littlest things too, months. I'd be in a gray cloud of doom. Uh, but now I'd, I'd like to say I've gotten it down to maybe days, days. So that's a big improvement. So five years from now, you know, maybe minutes, maybe, maybe not. Depends. So psychologically, just as an example, the hardest part is when you're at the bottom to begin. And then as you start, this is like, scientifically um shown so as you start winning your hormones will not hormones i'm again i'm not sure terminology let's say if you start winning testosterone starts increasing with increased testosterone you're, you become basically yeah your chemical, chemical compounds, compounds basically compounds. contribute to you winning more so yes. when setbacks happen it's way easier to just recover than when you were starting because you're you've literally your physiology has changed to to accommodate for that direction you're going i love that so yeah that's basically what you're saying what you were saying as well like before it used to take you months now it's just days because you're literally your physiology has changed because you took that initial step at the start to overcome yeah 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 so and and like uh this latest thing I learned from uh, Mark Douglas, the uh, trading coach, is that people forget that they they hit a drawdown in their account or whatever, something goes wrong in their life or something for a few times. And it's like, whoa, you start to identify with losing instead of winning. And he's like, you have to step out of that and realize that that's not real. Like you're you're experiencing the details and the minutia of an experience when you have to zoom out and see a data point across multiple timeframes and looking at the individual data points could be disastrous. You have to be able to look at the entire plot and say, wait a minute, statistically, where are my probabilities of success? If it is 60%, which is above average, that implies small data points of failure that implies drawdown. It's not a hundred percent. No one is a hundred percent. So we, we, we get stuck on the data point and forget about the whole graph that eventually goes up slowly with small points that lean, that, that make it not parabolic, but, but, slow and steady. And he says, basically you take 20 trades and, uh, you know, 
you're going to lose seven of 12 trades. You just need to manage the loss and manage the win to be bigger than the loss. And you have a successful, profitable strategy. <clears throat> the problem is it's the seven losses that, that destroy the individual and perpetuate a 60% strategy to 30, 40, and, and ruin the edge because we got, we got well, fear. It's fear, right? Fear and hope drive everything that we do. And this is him speaking, right? And so what's funny is that on this very show, we have talked about replacing fear with hope. And that's exactly what he's saying in the world of the financial sector. You cannot go off of your latest failure. You have to keep trying. And we talk about that in other ways too on this show. You have to keep trying, no matter if your ideas get rejected, if your concepts get rejected, you have to just remain interested in the subject. You have to remain spontaneous, creative, childlike. He said something very profound. He said the, the definition of creativity is to create something or to bring something out that wasn't there before. I absolutely love that definition. To, 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 to be responsible for bringing something out that did not exist before. I mean, that is amazing to, to, to internalize. And, and, and we lose that after we see failure a few times. And so like Thursday I, I, and Friday, I applied that and it was like, okay, um, I had a few, had a few losses. So Friday I had a few yesterday, few losses in trading on this one trade. I had loss and loss and I'm documenting this as I'm going. And I'm like, okay, small loss. I accepted the risk as I went into it. This is not, this is not, not reflect anything about my skill. This is actually from yesterday, a normal set of drawdowns in an otherwise successful strategy. And he says, you don't know when the next win is necessarily going to happen out of the 20 trades out of the, the data point. You don't know where those downsides are because it's completely random. Because he said your 60% success strategy has 40% of failure built into it. You don't know where that is though. So you have to keep trying to get to the next data point. And so if I had looked at those two losses to start off the day, mind you, as a, success, a continued losing success uh, strategy, I could have said, well, I'm not going to trade today. I'm obviously not seeing something or something. It's like, no, I'm just becoming a part of the data set. And of course, the third attempt on the same trade was an absolute winner, like blew out the two weeks of data points. And it was like a rocket ship. And it was like, I was right. I was just off by like three minutes each time, a few minutes. And to change who you are from a few minutes 
to think that you're a failure because of a few attempts at something that didn't work throws away years and years and years of training. And it's not logical. It's not reasonable. And yeah, Friday, I've had one of the best trades I've ever had in my life. Congratulations. Yeah. After losing twice. And after having found the damn trade myself, I I needed no one to say, Hey, this is a winner. Just a typical part of the process of, of seeing an edge, a strategy and following it. So if you, if you take this and put this into, if you're listening to this, right. And you take this into other things, like um, we're taking this into the RV model. Okay. To all the entrepreneurs and business people out there, there is take any model. There is a, 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 a strategy of acquiring an asset, marketing its use for supply and demand. You enter the market with a product and you say, I see the demand. I'm going to supply the market with this. And um, we don't know if it's going to work. You have to take that risk using a strategy of a, of a, of a, a, a winning strategy right? We know that if there's a demand for something, there needs to be supply for it and vice versa. So that's how a free market works. So you have to take the risk of entering a market. If there's, and and saying, if there's demand for this and I can supply for it, I'll be profitable. And you have to try, you know, for our first RV, we're talking about a hundred thousand dollar risk, and it was a success. It's working. There's a, there's a demand, so you have to try again and scale up, scale up, and maybe that one doesn't work, right? But that doesn't make the one before it a failure. You know, it doesn't make the next one a failure either. It's it's it's. Um, replacing fear with hope no matter how many times you fail now if you fail an inordinate amount of times what do we know well you're you need to change something about your strategy right so of course if you see constant failure over a long term well we we know something's not right chances are though it's not the market it's not it's not supply and demand. Those principles will never go away as long as humans exist. Supply and demand remains the same. As long as there's a free market where we don't have to obey the government in ownership of whatever we do, then uh, we can succeed with a, a winning strategy. We just, there's a couple things that don't add up. Number one, you do need a winning strategy. If you're reinventing the wheel in a market, you're going to have a harder time. So if I create a new vehicle and I enter that vehicle into the same old market, I might have some challenges in the beginning, right? You know, and I think, I think that's pretty common in a free market. Uh, you have a new thing. You're kind of using a new strat. You're using similar strategies, but for a new product, might not be so easy, but if there's, you can create a winning strategy out of that, right? Like that doesn't mean you're going to fail just because it's new. We need new things, but uh, 
if the market isn't, if you're kind of creating the market for it, then they kind of say you don't want to be the first one. Um, the first EV producer, yeah, electric right. vehicle in the US failed. They're gone. They're, Tesla is not the first electric vehicle. They're the first like best electric vehicle. The first one wasn't so good and it was scrapped. And there's actually a documentary about it. It says where it's called, uh, I forgot what the company was called, but it's called Where Is That Company? And basically details like how they produced cars. They sold some cars, but but that failed. The, the company shut down and all the cars, like there was no charging system. There was no like map of, of superchargers around the country. Tesla is really smart because they said, okay, we need to provide an infrastructure for this new market, this emerging market. And, uh, you know, after years of pain, eventually the, the company became a success and now it's a standard. Um, I think that's one of the things that bothered me about the health and wellness field, you know, entering that market was really tough for me and trying to get clients for meditation and all that stuff and coaching people. So that's a really tough market and I'm not trained as a marketer in tough markets. So I was thinking about this the other day to, to entrepreneurs and to business people and, and people entering the world of sales, you know, be prepared for a difficult time if your product doesn't sell itself. Very difficult if your product doesn't sell itself. If you're in real estate, you know, you can probably sell houses because people want to live in houses. It's competitive as a realtor. We know it's competitor, competitive, but I think you can do it if you like fight for it. But trying to sell people like mental peace, oh, that's tough. That's tough. Because it's so abstract. It's not tangible. It's not a big structure somewhere that you can move into. Oh yeah, I'll definitely pay a million dollars for that. But mental peace, you want 200 bucks an hour? Nah, no way. N negative. Not doing that investment. There's got to be a free way to be happy. So, so, you know, that's why I pivoted so hard from, from that kind of environment. I, I didn't have a winning strategy. So I pivoted. So I do, I did want to say that because the teachings that we're talking about, they do imply that the data set is correct. Like the data set is, is a profitable one. You are using a winning strategy. If you're not using winning strategy, you got to look at that before your mindset. Your mindset can be like super positive, but you will still fail if it's not a winning strategy. Does that make sense? Yes. And while you were speaking, I was thinking about some things as well. Go ahead. I'm just rambling at this point. I'm sorry. I mean, when I was saying I was thinking, I didn't mean I have to say them. This is what happens when we don't record for a week. Like I have all these <laughs> backed up ideas. I mean, yeah, what you were saying about demand. Yeah, it's if you're the first person to invent that thing, then you need to spend extra money 
basically making people aware that that thing exists. Yes. And then from that stage, then you go on to try to sell it to them. Whereas if there's demand there already, if they're aware of such a product, then you're just trying to yeah tap into that demand. So definitely easier. Yeah. You know what I saw the other day on TV? Uh, there's a Netflix documentary. I didn't watch it, but I just saw the preview. It's about a, a Mexican uh, famous singer or something. Who's like his his singing was he became like an absolute star in the Spanish environment, but he eventually like killed one of his fans, I guess. But in that anyway, uh, he the he he put a diamond in one of his teeth, and this is definitely like in the seventies, like. He's probably definitely one of the first people beyond like, I get that ancient Egyptians probably put like gold and stuff in their mouth. Uh, And then we have, we also have like old remedies of silver and gold for cavity prevention. But like, this must be the, the first modern person to put something expensive in their mouth in, in a show of, of royalty or something. In, a, in, a, in an ostentatious expression of, look at this, <laughs> I've got a diamond in my tooth. Obviously, he saw it more poetically, but he was the first modern man to put bling in his mouth and create a what eventually became um, an, a super famous like way of, for rich people to show their wealth, right? Grills, which, which became popular in the South of the u.s when southern rap artists became famous and wealthy they put a grill of diamonds gold whatever in their teeth and um i'm like wow this is the first guy to do this like in the last 100 years he he, he's done it and but but it didn't go anywhere it didn't become like famous until what 2004 we started seeing grills <laughs> no, i don't follow the grill culture <laughs> i know you don't <laughs> but like it's a it's fascinating to pay attention to pop culture in this way and and um just because he was the first like there wasn't a there wasn't a demand for that market so the dentist who did that it's like it's not like he did it for anyone else but now, if you said you did grills, well, probably be a pretty easy market. I'm sure there's someone out there who wants to do it all the time. Anyway, sorry. I don't know. <laughs> cool. I hope listeners can like identify with what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> probably not. Maybe in their own scenario, but just not with the gross scenario, yeah. That's what I always, that's why I always try to like take what I'm saying into something else. Like you're doing copywriting and everything. Someone listening is like trying to start a clothing business or whatever. I don't know. It's interesting what you were saying about the health and wellness thing, because I'm seeing how I can apply what I've currently learned to, to that. I mean, as in seeing how other people, how a lot of people do it and how like there's a better way of doing it that they don't realize. So being able to see that, I can see that I'm progressing as a copywriter 
by being able to spot those things. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's easy to see the benefits like once, once they happen, but to know you need the benefits, that's, that's the challenge, right? So you have to spend as a, as a health and wellness expert who's starting their own business, you have, just like you said, you have to spend the money to let people know that you exist and that what you do works. Now you would think meditation has been around for so long now that we've kind of, as a society, as a civilization, accepted that without meditation, we don't have elite performance. Without some form of meditation, you simply will not, will not succeed on a high level. Every top performer has some form of mental restraint or meditation or yoga, something. They may not call it that. However, um, we're not there yet where people will readily spend, you know, spend money and invest in their meditation skills. It's just not, it does take, in my opinion, a special kind of person to invest their time and money in that skill. Um, and it's so funny. Uh, I, I rarely kind of re am reminded about this. But when, if you ask me about my journey and all that stuff, I mean, it all started from a full investment in meditation. That's all it was. I was fully invested to change my life based on mastering meditation. And I was willing to give up everything for the pursuit of that skill. And typically, if you're willing to give up everything for the pursuit of a skill, you're probably going to succeed. So one of the things that uh, this coach um, on the series that I just watched said is all of his best students have said the same thing to him in the beginning. And that is, I'm willing to give up everything to succeed. And I will not fail. That's why I told my copywriting mentor. There you go. A current all in. Yeah. I'll do whatever it takes. Is specifically what he said. His every person that succeeds says the same thing. I will do whatever it takes to get good at this because this is so fascinating. And it's true. You have to love the process. You have to, you really do have to love the process of what you're doing. And honestly, I don't think I ever loved the process of um, owning um, a health and wellness company. To be honest. I think I've said that before um, to the uh, dismay of Helena, who she wants me to succeed as a health and wellness expert, but I, I don't really like the process of client acquisition. I really don't. I hate writing newsletters. I hate email marketing. I hate selling. I hate it. Yeah. Which is everything. That's crucial. It's everything. It's <laughs> absolutely everything. And, and honestly, my best month, of income as a health and wellness professional was I had to change who I was and I was good at it. I hit like a record month and um, yeah, I guess if I did that month after month, I'd be a millionaire, but I had, had to change who I was. I had to be at the end of the day. I was like, Ooh, who am I? 
Why am I on the phone with people like trying to convince them of this? I hate this. And I stopped and, and um, I found something that I love and can produce, you know, a profitable path without changing who I am. In fact, what I love about trading so much is that I have to become even more of the person that I love to be. Interesting. Yeah. And, and I think that's why I'll, I'll continue to succeed at it. So that's question number one. Do you want to be this person? Now, do you have to look at like being salesy? I mean, no, I've, I know that there's successful people out there who, who, who don't believe in like being salesy and stuff, but at the end of the day, they're salesmen and they rely on it. And uh, maybe they're lying to themselves. I don't know. Now, what, what I've heard successful sales people say is, is, well, you're, you truly love the product. So you, you know it's going to benefit people if they have it. But that's bullshit in my mind. I, I mean, it's like, yeah, I realize that definitely someone would benefit from my product. But if they can't afford it, they can't afford it. There's no... There's no like positivity that that reinforces the thinking that says, oh, well, they'll they'll manage to afford it if they can afford it. No, I don't believe that. If you can't afford meditation in your life right now, don't do it. Because the stress of trying to afford it is going to negate the benefits of meditation. Now, I will say something. I have had a client who genuinely could not afford the mentorship but she did it anyway i didn't now mind you i didn't also didn't have to sell her we actually knew each we're friends in in person she we we know each other this is an amazing individual by the way and uh she went on this path in i don't know when this was a couple of years ago uh, to succeed at like becoming a better person. And she spent money that she did not have to do it. And it paid off. Like after eight months of training, she was like a new person. She got a job and she like paid back all her debt. So she went into debt. She invested in herself to become a better person. Now I'm all for that. Like that's wonderful. But if you asked me when we first started, do you think I should go into debt to do this? I would have said, I can't, I, I honestly cannot recommend that. Like, do I think the debt will eventually be paid off if you like change yourself? I don't know. I, I don't know. Because you and, don't know the capabilities of that person. Only no. that person themselves knows if they're capable of truly doing Yeah. That. Like you have to make that decision yourself. And the problem to me, the conflict with sales, sales is that you have... You're trying to convince someone the opposite of how I feel. You're trying to say, yes, you're not going into debt. You're investing in your future wealth. And I just don't, I haven't internalized that probably because I have some kind of conditioning, some kind of scarcity mindset still. I mean, in all honesty, there's probably a scarcity mindset because I grew up poor middle class. I did not grow up. Certainly how Maya is growing up. I did not grow up that way. So, you know, there's definitely some of that. 
definitely, without a doubt. It's a limiting belief. A scarcity mindset is a limiting belief. So I was never, I'm, I haven't fully shaken that. And so, because you know what? I have sold people. I mean, granted, I don't con people. I actually think everyone I've ever worked with has like changed their life dramatically, which is a cool thing to say. And the person I paid the most, uh, charged the most, has had like a radical shift in persona. And they happily paid. And, and uh, that was one, also one of the toughest clients I've ever had. But, you know, it's hard for me at the end of the day to, uh, to do that, I guess. Even if it is working, it's still hard. It's just not how I was trained. It's not how, how the monks trained me. Which is why Zen Mind Academy is so important for me. But you need a lot of funding to get Zen, to get an organization off the ground. So part of my mission of acquiring wealth is to self-fund my own nonprofit. So anyway, I think that rant should be over. Well, glad to be back. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Rokas, for being so persistent in convincing me to record these things. And hopefully it's a benefit to you, the listener. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or feedback, or want to be on the show and like talk about stuff, you want to argue like something we've said, bring it on, um, email us and we'll happily uh, bring your topic to the show. Um, we may have missed a few topics. If I'm sorry, if we have, if you have a topic, go ahead and, find us online and let us know. I actually am not actively on social media anymore. Um, I check in to social media once a week. So I don't have those apps. Um, I go through the browser version to keep access limited and I'm extremely happy because of it. So we, you know, eventually your mess, my email, of course, I check my email every day. So I, would, I always get back to email right away. In fact, I love my email. Um, don't forget about uh, everything is your fault. Uh, a new reader just uh, messaged me the other day and said how thankful they were for reading that book. Um, so I guess it's helpful. That's um, on Amazon. And uh, we thank you for leaving a review to increase exposure. But if you don't want to leave a review, I don't care. I really don't. Um, that's it. Yeah. If uh, donations to Zen Mind Academy, just reach out to me and you can donate to a 501c3 and write it off. I, I write off my donations to Zen Mind on my taxes. So, all right. Till next week, Rosh. All right, Rokas. Aloha.